0: Ain't no fang podcast from Arizona sports. Ain't no fang. Well, the Diamondbacks fought the law and the law won. See what I did there? Brandon fought. They played the Rangers. Okay, never mind. They won, though. Steve Zinsmeister and Alex Weiner back on the Ain't No Fang podcast uh, talking about the big debut of Brandon Fought, top pitching prospect for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Really came on the scene in the last two seasons, kind of shot up through the minor leagues, He's got really cool stuff, but I think a lot of people are going to be disappointed by his debut alone. Um, The stat line, not good, gives up seven runs. What was it, like four and two-thirds innings, I think it was. That fifth inning was just brutal. I think you can make an argument that Torrey Lavello left him in too long, and Torrey Lavello said that himself, so Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm going out on too much of a limb there. Um, But things were starting to unravel for the young guy, and... uh, I'm here to tell you that it's going to get better. It's not always going to look like this. But part of the problem, we've talked about this as much on the podcast with Brandon Fott, is while he does have awesome stuff, he's got an incredible slider, which we can talk about here in detail. But he's very hittable with the fastball, and that can be problematic when you get to the major leagues.
1: Yeah, and with his debut in particular, it's just um, not putting guys away With location-wise. It's just, you know, he gets up in the count and then the fastball is just covers way too much of the plate or you know it's just he kind of served up a couple of pitches on a couple of mistakes that really really burned him because it's a tough environment to make your debut in that park with that offensive team it's warm it's so it just the ball was jumping like off the bat we saw that with the diamondbacks hitters we saw it with the rangers hitters and so leaving mistakes up really really cost both teams and for fought you're right. And the fastball, he wasn't really getting outs with it. Um, it was hit really, really hard. And because of that, I mean, just they ran into a couple and he gave up four home runs and four two-thirds innings, which we, we saw that a little bit in Reno with just the home run ball being an issue. It's Reno. That's an issue for everybody there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's one start. You don't want to say that anything is the end of the world or really take too many conclusions out of it. The slider looked good. It looked like it plays and it's going to continue to look like it plays. Um, he has sort of the arsenal you want in an in sort of a top of the rotation, middle of the rotation starting pitcher. It's just going to be being more comfortable on the edges, being more comfortable throwing more balls um, because he was in the strike zone a lot. I think it was
0: like 60% yeah. zone
1: rate, which is higher than pretty much any other pitcher on the team, I think. And so because of that, the Rangers were sitting on fastball. Waiting for it to go in the zone, and it was in the zone a lot. And so they were just attacking him. And so I think it's just going to be more of a comfort thing more starts, painting a little bit better, uh, and just not afraid to walk, maybe not walk a couple guys, but maybe getting deeper into a couple of accounts just so that you're not throwing a one two fastball over the middle.
0: Yeah. And it really is the slider. His changeup's pretty good too, but those off speed pitches are really where he, it's his bread and butter, it's where he makes his money. And you have to be able to set that up with an effective fastball. And I'm not saying he doesn't have an effective one. It's just that it's a little flat right now and caught way too much of the plate, like you mentioned. But, I mean, his average velocity on that fastball in the minors, I think, is like 93, 94 miles an hour, which it's just not dominant. Like, you're not going to, on stuff alone, you're not going to blow it by guys. Guys are probably going to sit back, like you said, and they're probably going to hit it, and especially when they're just looking for the fastball. The slider, to his credit, it still created a handful of swings and misses, including in the strike zone, which is good. That's when you know you're throwing a really deceptive slider, and his is very much a horizontal moving slider. I I know that's what most sliders are, but his does not have a lot of downward break, which is a little bit different from some other guys. Brandon fott has got great stuff. I'm excited about him still. I'm interested to know how long they keep him up. Assuming that this, uh, I mean, I'm hoping that he stays in the major leagues for long term. But I, you know, that's not always a realistic thing. Sometimes you need to just figure stuff out. The Diamondbacks, in particular, this season, with being in second place right now and having what looks like it could be a wild card contender at the least, they're not afraid to send guys back to the minor leagues. They've done it with Jake McCarthy. Uh, they've done it with Dre, at the end of last season they did it with Alec Thomas, which we'll get into a little bit more here later on, they might need to do it again it just makes me think that they've got three open spots in the rotation right now, could be two when Zach Davies gets back they need to figure out how best to train these young guys, Fought, Jameson Nelson, Tommy Henry probably fits into that conversation as well which of those guys is going to be the play long term, and I hope it is Brandon Fought
1: yeah, I would think bringing him up. I, I get it; you needed another starting pitcher at this in, in this you know situation because of the injuries and whatnot. And you know, you could have waited it out and thought about bringing back Dre Jamison, but this seemed to be the play. They said he was ready, and because they were so adamant that he was ready to go, and they called him up, I, I it doesn't feel like this is like a two start thing. It feels like this is a guy who's going to be in there, and they're going to count on him being in there unless like every. You know, his first four starts look like this. Um, it's one start. It's, you know, not something I, I would be particularly worried about. Um, and you're right. It's it's kind of interesting. The whole roster is, is sort of in an interesting place because of, you mentioned, it's, it doesn't look like what it was at the very beginning of the year. It probably never was, but it, it's pretty drastically different in a couple of areas. The starting rotation is, I mean, other than Gallen and Kelly and, and Ryan Nelson, I mean, Anything feels like it can move at any moment. But even Ryan point. Nelson was new to the job exactly. on opening day. So, yeah, you're right. But I think for Fott, I mean, I don't know. It, with the pitching prospect this highly touted, with this much good stuff, and whom they said they were really high on. I mean, Mike Hazen said this is the guy with the best stuff that they had out of these young pitchers. It just it doesn't feel like this would be a, like a temporary... Solution unless he really, really struggles.
0: Yeah, because in that Madison Bumgarner DFA press conference, Mike Hazen made it very clear like Fought's ready. I I forget Mm -hmm. who, but somebody in the room asked him about Brandon Fought. Is he ready to go? And he's like, Yeah, he's ready. It just logistically didn't work out at that point to bring him up to replace Madison. Here we are, what, a week and a half later, and he's up and Mm -hmm. and he's making his debut in Texas. Um, I do think, to your point earlier, facing Texas in your debut, Needs to be put into context, too. It's not an easy team to face in your debut. There might be a good argument that they should have brought him up earlier and done maybe Washington at home. (laughs) Might have been an opportunity. Um, But he's going to see some other opponents uh, other than Texas. This is probably the toughest opponent that they play for a while. They got Washington. um, They've got. San Francisco, Miami, Oakland coming up, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's actually in first place this year, so that doesn't look as easy as it normally would. Um, so they've got some opportunities coming around that he'll probably get another look and uh, hopefully look a little bit better. Four home runs, by the way, it's a problem he's had in the minor leagues too. And I know you mentioned how good of a hitting environment Reno is. Double A's is kind of the same way. Um, so you look at his like 3.91 ERA before he got called up. That's actually pretty good in Reno, all things considered. And so for him to be experiencing the long ball in the environment that he was in his debut, I wasn't surprised. I'll put it to you that way. But I was really excited about the slider in particular. I was looking more at
1: pitch breakdown rather than like final stat line for Brandon Fought in his debut. I think that's the better way to look at it, too. I mean, even with the fastball, I mean, it's going to look better. It's going to look better. There's real life to it. It's ninety three, ninety four, but it's got a great spin. And again, if it's well located and it pairs with the slider really well, it could be really deadly. Um, and so I think you just sort of take the first start as experience. Um, you say, "Oh, that was a good pitch there," or "Here he got out of a jam there." Or, you know, first inning he gave up a two out walk, but then he just got the next guy out on a pop up uh, really quickly. There are moments there where it showed some. Uh, some maturity, and then it unraveled for him at the end where he probably lasted a little longer than he should have. But at the end of the day, it's one start in. The Branifat era is here, and if we talked about this before his start, we would be talking about how great and exciting it is, and it is great and exciting that he's up and he's going to be helping this team. So, yeah, first start not great, but his next start's going to be at Chase Field. Um, Fans rallying behind him, hopefully, and I think, uh, you know... The results will come as he gets more and more comfortable in the major leagues.
0: As of now, if the rotation remains, he would probably pitch Tuesday, May 9th against Miami at home at Chase Field, possibly facing Jesus Lazardo, who's been really good, too. Um, so that'd be a really interesting matchup of two young uh, young arms. I think that would be a really interesting game to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, there needs to be a conversation about Corbin Carroll. He injured his knee running into the wall last, uh, a couple days ago. Um, missed a couple of days, but he did come back and he was a pinch hitter, I think in the seventh inning yesterday, got two at-bats, got two at-bats. I think he even, he had a hit and he scored. So, I mean, like clearly he's able to play. He's not injured. There won't be an IL stint. uh, It looks like, which is great news for the Diamondbacks because Corbin Carroll, I think is their best player despite some numbers that we're going to talk about for Geraldo Perdomo, which are insane. (laughs) Um, But this is good because they did call up Dominic Fletcher Um, who, tell me if you've heard this before, is a left-handed hitter. He's a little bit on the short side, great fielder, speedy guy. And that's exactly what Jake McCarthy, Corbin Carroll, and Alec Thomas all are. Um, So he's kind of in that same mold. He gets called up. He's actually playing very well uh, so far in the outfield and brings a lot of versatility. He's filled in brilliantly for Corbin Carroll, but Carroll's back and ready to go. Now the question is about Alec Thomas. Because Alec Thomas is really struggling offensively this season. In 101 plate appearances, I believe it is. Yeah, 101 plate appearances. He has 16 hits. He's hitting 176, 248 on base, 308 slugging for an OPS plus of 52. 100 is league average. 52 is Mm -hmm. where he's at. So are they willing to do with Alec Thomas what they did with Jake McCarthy, which is send him back down to Reno try to figure some stuff out. They did that with Alec Thomas. I think it was in September of last season, uh, or maybe August, and he continued to rake at the Triple A level. Is it time to send Alec down
1: and, and hope that Carroll and Fletcher can hold their own in the outfield? Maybe. I mean, it's just... With Thomas, I, again, it's like you look at some of the peripherals and it's like, okay, he's still hitting the ball okay. He kind of looks like a league average hitter, but then you dive into like the pitches. On fastballs, he's actually hitting it pretty well. Uh, it's just... Everything else, Uh, and especially chasing every other pitch and just the whiff percentage is getting worse and worse. And just against the off-speed pitches, he's just really struggling to make contact or lay off of the right pitches that he needs to lay off of. And it's really hampering his ability to barrel up baseballs because, I mean, we've seen it in stretches where he gets a couple of good fastballs and he can really send it to, you know, any field, especially he's pretty good going the other way. But you're right. At this point, the results just aren't 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 happening. They have Fletcher there to sort of help um, in the outfield, and I guess it would just be a matter of do you send him down and bring back Jake? Um,
0: Is Jake ready?
1: Exactly. I don't know what he's been doing in AAA since he
0: got sent down. I don't know if you have those numbers readily available. But. Um,
1: he got off to a good start. I mean, he has played six games at this point, and I mean. He's slashing, uh, what is it, 348, 444, 522. Yeah, not bad. So so far, so good. It's only Eight six hits. games, but he's hitting, the, he's hitting the heck out of the ball so far. I saw that home run he hit the other day. Moonshot, it was yeah. It a monster shot,
0: which is not something that he's well known for. Yeah, if you feel that he's gotten his rhythm back in those
1: 23 at-bats, then I guess you could bring Jake back. And... Or if it's in, in five games, if this is still the case. Right, um, yeah. If you want to give... Thomas arrest in one of these games and have Carol play if Carol feels good enough to play in center field and you have Fletcher out there and you can Carol paven or, or Lord no, I meant just with the knee not because yeah 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 center field good point um, but yes Fletcher yeah, could play center field if you really
0: needed him to sure the question then becomes what do you do on the corners because Lord Escurel can play left or right but probably more likely left. Um, he's not great defensively. He's okay. I, I think he'd probably rank somewhere below average if I had to guess his metrics. Uh, Paven Smith is a below average right fielder. And that's the Lourdes, only place they would put Lourdes him. is a below average defensive yeah. player. But, yeah. Um, so if they're both below average defensively in the corner outfield. Well, then, that's why you have Fletcher. Then that's why you have to play Carroll and Fletcher in the interim. I, I, this is a scenario. If you were to send Thomas down and not bring back McCarthy, then your outfield defense struggles a little bit. Mm-hmm. At some point, by the way, Kyle Lewis probably plays into this conversation if, if and when Absolutely. he comes back. Yeah. Um, that, I don't know. Maybe much, that's the next roster move. I don't know. It could be. It could be. So, those are all interesting questions in the outfield. I do think that Paven Smith deserves some more at bats. I know he's hitting 261. He's come down to earth a little bit, but still at 382 on base. Uh, slugging 457, his OB, OPS plus is 130. I just feel like we haven't seen him a lot. <laughs> late, no, late only 55 yeah. plate appearances, despite how well he's hit in that small sample size. I, I do think he deserves more at-bats. They're going to have to come at DH against righties the majority of the time. I don't want him to play the outfield. I don't really want him to play the field at all.
1: Uh, no offense say, to him, very, he's not good at it. Uh, very positive on the Pavin-Smith train for a second for you there (laughs) and no 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 no. i and and i think he deserves that yeah i think he's proven me and several
0: other people very very much wrong about where he stood in the organizational uh, hierarchy because like you mentioned on opening day this roster looked a lot different they were not relying on paven smith he was in reno uh and then you have injuries to guys like you know like lewis and you send mccarthy down and there are Places where Paven Smith eventually fit into that lineup and he did very very well and especially early. I mean he had two doubles I think in his first game. Um, I think he deserves to be in this lineup. Perdomo we need to talk about <laughs> because Perdomo right now is hitting 409 473 on base a 202 OPS plus again league average 100 202 yeah. that's uh, unbelievable. We've talked about Perdomo's successes over the last three weeks probably And we always say, like, okay, he's going to come back to Earth. He's going to come back to Earth. He hasn't come back to Earth yet. And the the bandwagon is getting more and more
1: full. I
0: think so. And (laughs) you know what? i got to be honest with you. I think they probably should play him more than they are currently. He's probably getting... uh, He's got 77 plate appearances. Nick Ahmed has 60. Those are your two primary shortstops. Uh, And Perdomo plays a little bit
1: of second base, too, here and there.
0: That's maybe a 60-40 split for Perdomo. I think it should probably be 75, at this rate, seeing how much you're getting out of him offensively, he's a switch hitter, he walks, which is something that most guys on this team doesn't, don't do. Uh, I just think that his upside offensively means that he should be playing a lot more than Nick Ahmed at this point.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure how you how you argue that, other than just it's it's early and you want to get both of them a certain amount of at-bats before you evaluate. For Perdomo, I mean, it's, he's a good at-bat. Uh, I mean, and again, he's not hitting the ball, he's not scorching the ball every single time, It's but it's He's a smart hitter. He doesn't chase. He doesn't swing through a lot of pitches. He, again, you mentioned he walks more. Does he have the most walks on the team? He's got to do, he right? He has seven, which is tied with a handful of players like Curiel gotcha. and
0: Marte and Walker. It's just behind. Alec Thomas has eight, by the way, okay. despite not hitting very well. He does have eight walks. And Paven Smith has nine. He leads the team in
1: walks, even Mm -hmm. though he's got half the at bats that most guys do. Jose Herrera's climbing that list after these last couple of days. So, um, but yeah, Corbin Carroll has eight too. By the way, yeah, okay, but it's still with Perdomo. It's just it's he's a smart at bat. Yeah, he puts the ball in play, and you know even though it's it's not a it's mostly singles and it's not a ton of power that we've seen this year so far. Slugging
0: percentage is four. uh, Wait, where is it? Four seventy three. True. That's not bad.
1: It's just more so like the. uh, exit velocity is the average exit velocity is 85.7 miles per hour which is quite low for somebody hitting this well but he's he's capable of of really running into pitches and he just continuously peppers the ball in play and he finds holes continuously they brought him up to pinch hit in that win on Wednesday Brandon Fott's debut against the Rangers um where he just comes up and just kind of slaps an extra base hit down the line in right field and That's what you're getting out of him. He's spraying the ball. He's hitting it well. He's hitting it all over the place. And um, it's been really, really effective. Now, he's not going to hit 400 the whole year. No. Uh, Not going to hit 350 the whole year. There's going to be a moment where he's going to have to pull himself back up. Um, But, you know, after last season, you know, just, you know, we could not find it offensively consistently. And now to see him start off the year this hot, it's, it's cool to see, and I'm just curious what sort of the next version of him offensively looks like. Defensively, we know what we're getting. He's been tremendous for them. Um, and that's another huge reason why him playing is like, oh, you want, you know, per- like Perdomo or Ahmed at shortstop. At this point, Perdomo is more athletic and just he has the arm strength. He's, he's been great for them defensively. Uh, and so to see him pair that with some success offensively has been a huge boost in why they are where they are.
0: It's just completely the opposite of last season. Because like you mentioned, not finding consistency. I mean, he got 500 plate appearances. That's basically a full season for uh, a player in a lineup. And he hit 195, 285 on base, which is actually pretty good when you consider he was hitting below the Mendoza line. Uh, Slugging only 262. I mean, that's half of what he's slugging right now. So last year, the only thing he did really well last year was he led the league in sacrifice hits, (laughs) which is not exactly the thing that you want to be known for. Um, Perdomo's been awesome I think he deserves more opportunity he's getting it he's getting opportunities over Nick Ahmed
1: at times which is there's something to be said for that longest tenured guy a guy who Tory trusts immensely and yeah for Perdomo to so it's know, not be like Perdomo's this. riding the bench
0: and hitting 400 he's yeah. he's playing but I think that I'm, I'm thinking maybe it should be like a 75
1: 25 split at this time at this point Could play some matchups with it too um, and they are so
0: there are but, some yeah. questions about the roster Elsewhere, Uh, particularly when I look at Evan Longoria and Emmanuel Rivera. You bring Mm -hmm. Rivera up. It's a guy that got some good experience in the WBC this year. I thought he played really well at times last season for the Diamondbacks. He has a spot, in my opinion, but Longoria was brought in as a veteran in free agency. Really one of the only free agents that I can remember from this offseason to hit lefties. And so the idea was Josh Rojas will play third most of the time. He's a left-handed hitter, can play against righties. Longoria would take his spot against lefties. Basically, on the most generic level, I think that was the plan, and is the plan. He's hitting very well. Longoria is against lefties. He's hitting roughly 300, I think.
1: Um, Yeah, against lefties, 281 OPS of 861. Okay, I think it was 300 like yesterday, but it must have gone down. Um, Nine of his 12 hits this year against lefties. He is
0: completely ineffective against right-handed pitching right now. And for that reason, I think that's probably part of the reason that Rivera is around. But you have two guys who play the same positions, really kind of have the same role. How long can your roster be built that way where they're, neither of them are the primary third baseman, but that's kind of the position they play. They're not going to get a lot of time at first base, especially with Christian Walker being the workhorse he is. Paven Smith might even get a couple of turns at first base just because there's nowhere else to put him. It just feels like the roster is built in a way right now that's not really sustainable.
1: No, this is not going to be the final product. And for Rivera and Longoria, I mean, I feel like the thinking there probably is they had to, you know, put Kyle Lewis on the IL, and then they put they picked up Paven Smith. Um, recently, they have Fletcher. They, they didn't have that extra right-handed bat. They needed to have the roster balance that they wanted to have against left-handed pitching, and so you bring up Rivera to be essentially, you know, he'll play defense, but essentially a DH against left-handed pitching and so far so good. He's looked quite good. Uh, and you're right. Longoria has been pretty good against left-handed pitching. And I'm kind of surprised. He, he actually has he's 32 at bats against lefties and 28 at bats against righties. That's more balanced than I thought. And, uh, you're right. He's hitting one Oh seven with a one Oh three on base percentage and a two fifty slug against right-handed pitching this year. So it just just hasn't worked. Yeah. Um, that just hasn't worked for him. And there.
0: they have better options against righties anyway. Like yeah. We talked about Rojas, obviously, but Smith, if you were going to go DH, mm-hmm. Rivera's better against righties than Longori is, so I think he pretty much maintains that against-lefty role that Jordan Luplo had last
1: year. Right. And I think with the roster construction, I think... I'm not sure when in the season we'll see sort of the ideal version of this team, um, but I think it, you know, it includes... You know the lefty outfielders of McCarthy, Thomas, Carroll, and then you could either Pavin Smith or Kyle Lewis, or I mean obviously Gurriel is in that mix too, but either Smith or Lewis. Or, again, it's it's kind of kind of the same questions we had in spring training of who's going to be that like last guy there, um, and I think they have a lot of guys to pick from um, between like you know Paven Smith, Lewis, Emmanuel Rivera. Maybe Fletcher, maybe another younger guy who comes up and makes a splash later. Um, Blaze Alexander had a great start to the season, but he's he got to hurt. Uh, there's a couple of other guys. and Dominic Canzone is hitting the cover off of the ball, but I don't think he's on the 40-man roster, so they would have to make a roster move if they think he's ready. So they have good options, but yeah, you're right. This this current lineup and this current... it's I think it's close to what you want to see, but it's not quite there offensively. I think just Jake McCarthy getting back and getting to the swing of things is... A big deal and then I think more so than the hitting because I don't think you know maybe the hit like the offensive roster construction isn't like exactly what it's going to be by the end of the season it's still producing really really well now even if not everybody's producing really well really well they are producing really really well as a team it just kind of feels like a snowball effect for them offensively seventh in our WRC plus over the last week 132 second in runs, even though they had days off in the past week. Um so it's that's working. It's really the rotation where I'm looking at it like what is the version, the best version of the starting rotation by the end of the season? I would think it's Gallon Kelly fought like Nelson Jameson or Nelson Henry. Um I have another just, name. It's just one of those three guys. I have another name. Or two of those three guys. Who is the name? I like Blake Walston. Hmm. He's in AAA, not
0: the greatest start to the season, although I think he got his ERA down this week to three, which in Reno is pretty remarkable. Um, he was struggling with striking guys out, which sounds like a bad a bad thing. You're like, why would, why would we bring that guy up? Well, he's a good pitching prospect. I think he's got better stuff than Henry and Nelson and maybe even Jamison. And Jamison's the guy who throws the hardest out of all these guys. I think Blake Walston, I mean, he can't sit in Reno forever. So I think Blake Walston, if he is truly more talented than some of those other guys, maybe he works his way in by the end of the season. These three rotation spots are certainly not solidified. And it's funny, I got a text from uh, uh, Cody Fincher, who usually is doing the podcast with us. He's on paternity leave. Um, Cody texted me the other day and he goes, Man, I never thought I'd say this, but we really need Zach Davies. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like, It's not a guy that you usually get too excited about, but man, the way that the rotation looks right now, you could really use a guy who can get you six innings. Uh, Maybe he's going to give up three or four runs, but he's going to get you six innings and, and give the bullpen some time off. And, it's not like the bullpen is amazing, but I think they've been significantly better this season than they were last, at
1: least towards the end of the year. The back end's been really good still. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And they've made some really key additions. I think Andrew Chafin is a much different player now than the last time we saw him in a Diamondbacks uniform a couple of years ago when they traded him at the 2020 weird COVID deadline. Yeah. Um, so. I do think that the roster is going to change a little bit. I think you're right about that. I I do expect that if this team continues to be in second place or or first place or even in third place and contending for a wild card, you get into June and July and they need to start having conversations about, okay, how do we add a starting pitcher to our rotation that we can rely on? How do we find a corner outfield bat that can hit a home run every now and then? Or... Maybe it's another position, but they might end up having those conversations, especially with all these guys sitting in Reno who are ready. We haven't even brought up the name Dominic Canzone because he's the fifth guy on the roster for this organization who is basically the same. He's a shorter, (laughs) left-handed hitting, fast, good outfielder. He's exactly like Dominic Fletcher. He's exactly like Carroll, McCarthy, Thomas. Now, they're all good at different things, too, but they have the same profile. You can't have five of the same guy. In your organization so somebody's going to get traded eventually. That's just the way I feel because they're all young. They have control. There's a lot of starting pitchers and I'm with you. I want to find out which ones are legit and which ones are going to stick long term but all think, five of them can't stick forever. I think that's what this
1: early part of the season is. I think that's what this is right is, now. Yeah. yeah. Well, look Davies Kip I mean <sighs> the oblique strain it's kind of tough. I mean it really depends on a part of like a case-to-case basis and for him It seems like he was, you know, by the time that their last road trip started, he was getting back on the track but not quite there yet. So maybe by the end of this road or by the end of the homestand, because they have a 10-game homestand starting on Friday, um, maybe he's up by the end of that 10-game homestand. And maybe... You know, they feel like Ryan Nelson could use a little bit more tinkering uh, and Reno or somebody else or Henry or I don't know who, but just they have so many options that who to send up and who to send down. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around who's OK. Who are the five who they want to be in the rotation by the middle of the season, by the end of the season? You're right with Walston, by the way, just bringing it up. I didn't realize 15 and innings, two thirds innings earned uh two earned runs. This last three starts. It's pretty good. Really good. Um, and it's really so, good. And he, he's there. He also has best one of the best so.
0: Southern accents I've ever heard.
1: <laughs> there was a video the Reno Aces
0: posted this week. They just mic'd him up during, like, warm-ups while he was in the outfield. Not doing anything in particular other than just, like, playing catch with some guys. He's got a great accent. He would fit perfectly with his team. Uh, it's unfortunate that Madison Bumgarner is gone because I think the two of them would probably get along really well. Andrew Chafin, I think of as well as another guy who's just kind of got that rural look and feel to him. <laughs> Um, anyway I, I think Blake Walston's a name that we can't rule out he's already in AAA. he's
1: yeah. already in Reno so he's not he's not far he Brandon, hasn't had a ton of starts in Reno yet because no he just started this year in Reno But well, Brandon think fought didn't have a ton either he had a handful last
0: year and that's yeah. the advantage that he had but um, but I, I don't think we can we can take him off of our list yet especially if we're talking end of the season because you're talking about September call-ups yeah. you're talking about a lot of things that can change between now and then.
1: so by the end of the season I mean so the op- just to kind of lay out the options. You know Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly are the top two.
0: Yeah, barring any weird injury, injury, they will be around.
1: Knock on wood. After that, it's... Okay, so it's Zach Davies is in there. Ryan Nelson. Tommy Henry. Yeah. Dre Jameson. Fought. Fought. Blake Walston. Those are maybe Bryce Jarvis, but it feels like next year. He just got promoted to AAA. Yeah. so he's going to have the majority of the year in AAA. He, He could... He could work his way into the conversation. Eight, nine options potentially for those five spots, which is good. But at the same time, you're right. Yeah. If, you, if they think that they can contend sooner rather than later, and they just feel like they have too many guys that are like on the cusp, and they either want to trade, you know, for somebody who could help them win now, trade for someone who can win now, throw in another guy, and then maybe get somebody who's a little further along who could help them in two years from now. I'm, I'm not sure, but it's a good, it's a good problem to have. But it's also a problem because you don't know which five guys are going to be the guys. And you only got three
0: spots right now. I mean, once Davies is back, you really only have two. And, and I don't think Davies is a long-term option for the Diamondbacks.
1: No. Of course like, not. I don't think he's back after this season, necessarily. Probably not, no. but uh, and, and the thing is, like, you want to give these guys time because they're so young. We mentioned, like, oh, Ryan Nelson's struggling, but he's still only nine starts into his major league career. Fought, you know, one start, didn't go planned. Henry has been kind of uh, his first start was not great. His last start was fine until you know, a couple of hits fell in the sixth inning, I think it was. and But they still won that game handily. So you want to give these guys time to really evaluate them. But you have so many of them. It's like, do we not see Dre Jameson again until August? Do we not... See, Walston until August, September, just because there's a logjam. How many starts do you give Ryan Nelson if he continues to struggle the way that he is right now?
0: Another part of that discussion is which ones of them can you package to get something reasonable in return? Because if you go out looking for a pitcher at the All-Star break, let's say Oakland is giving up Paul Blackburn or something like that. A guy who's made an All-Star appearance, somewhat reliable. I don't know if that's the best
1: example.
0: (laughs) You don't like that? I, I don't know what his numbers are this season, but I'm just naming a team that would likely be open to trading a player. That, that's really all I'm looking for in this. I, I like. I'm your not idea saying of I like, like Paul
1: the Atlanta. Blackburn. The Atlanta Braves uh, playbook of just hanging out by the Oakland uh, facility and just being, hey, well, he's I, gonna fall out. But, I think um, you need
0: to be looking at. Well, oh, he hasn't pitched this year. So okay, fair him, enough. So. It was just an example of an organization more so than the player. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you look at the Washington Nationals and, and you got to i mean, I'm looking at teams that are bad. Patrick Corbett. that no. are likely to. Oh God, <laughs> I don't want to experiment there. Um, maybe you look at the St. Louis Cardinals, a team that's got a pretty decent payroll, but is in last place unexpectedly. Maybe they're looking to offload something. Not that they have a lot of pitching to give away. Maybe that's um, why, though. Maybe. I don't know.
1: If, if they love Dylan Carlson or something like that. Sure.
0: But I guess my point is like you need to be looking at what are teams going to want in return. I don't know that Tommy Henry, Ryan Nelson, uh, maybe even Dre Jameson. I don't know that they had the prospect pedigree that other teams are clamoring for them at a young age even with years and years of control. Brandon Fott's going to be desirable, I would think, just based on I his prospect pedigree. Touchable. I don't think so depending on what you're getting in return. I mean, are you getting a really good pitcher? Then maybe I'd consider it. But uh, you just don't know, right? I would doubt it. But I I guess you're right. I guess you're right. I would too. I don't think he's untouchable. I just think that he's not likely to be moved. Dre Jameson, I don't think should be moved. But again, what are teams going to want in return? You can't make the Gabriel Moreno trade with Lourdes Gurriel in there too without Dalton Varsho, who was arguably your best player last season. Mm. Him and Walker were your two best offensive players. They had to move one of them in order to get something that they felt fit the team better. So you got to give to get. Mike Hazen knows that more than anybody because he made the Zach Gallon deal where he gave up who was largely considered their best prospect, Jazz Chisholm, who ended up being a really, really fantastic player in Miami. I I shouldn't say fantastic. I'm actually not a huge Jazz Chisholm guy, but he's exciting to watch. He's a good player. It's it's, it's obvious when you watch him play. I I think he got the better end of the deal, but they realized they
1: had to give to get. And at the time, you could have questioned that trade. The outfielders, the pitchers, I mean, it's there's a lot of guys in AAA who seem like they could come in and fill in roles, and there's a lot of guys in the major leagues who, you know, maybe are struggling a little bit. You're right, I mean, it's just again, a lot of options as far as if they were to put together a package You're, I think you're completely right. I I think the last year, I think I or no, it was during spring training I floated out the idea, just like friends and stuff like that. It's like, what if the Brewers... Really, really struggle, and then Corbin Burns is last year. But the only thing with him is it's last year on contract. I think and the package they're not, for him—they're not playing horribly. The package for
0: him would be—you're not getting him for Ryan Nelson, Tommy Henry packages. You're you're getting him last for year on contract. I know, I know. And I like to think back to the J.D. Martinez trade, which was one of the most masterful trades I've, I I've ever Alcantara seen. Sergio
1: Alcantara
0: and... A bunch of nothing. Somebody else, yeah. Isan Diaz or something like that? that no, might no that was a different, different trade, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Anyway, it, to your point, we can't even remember who it was, because it doesn't matter. They yeah. weren't anything. And you get arguably the best hitter in baseball for the next two to three months after that. A, a masterful trade... You're probably right. Maybe it's a little bit lower than I'm expecting. A, a price tag for Corbin Burns or somebody like that, like a if Brandon Woodruff became available or whoever. Um, but I just think that you're going to have to realize you're going to have to give if you want to get. Last thing I wanted to get your thoughts on. The Diamondbacks DFA'd Seth Beer. Mm. Not like he was contributing at the Major League level. He had one really great moment last year on opening night where he hit a walk-off home run. Um, but other than that, has been a pretty big disappointment. Defensively, never really found a position. Even with the DH being added in the National League, really couldn't catch on as a player. He was considered one of the the big pieces in return for Zach Granke in the Houston trade 2019, I guess that would have been. Looking back at that deal now, Seth Beer DFA'd, Corbin Martins on the 60-day IL, and before that, I don't even know that he really had a role figured out in this team uh, JB Bukowskis got DFA'd. I think he's in Milwaukee now or something AAA like that. Triple A for Milwaukee, yeah. Josh Rojas worked out. He, it's funny, he was actually the throw-in in that trade.
1: Uh and he makes a trade worth it, in hindsight. Okay. Why do you like it so much? Um, because where they were it they were sort of it was sort of a weird spot because they had just traded Paul Goldschmidt. They were kind of in this transitional phase between, okay, the 2017 team, that was great, but it's that core is not going to see the same success, at least a court based on how they maneuvered the roster. It was clear that they were like, okay, that core is not going to see the same success. It's time to sort of twist it into a new version. Catel Marte was really coming on, but they, again, they weren't like a world series contender that year. They were better than people thought they would be that season, but it, but they, again, at the deadline, they clearly felt like they had to make some transitions. And that was the deadline that they traded jazz Chisholm for Zach Gallen. And then they traded Zach Granke. And then to get a guy for an aging pitcher who wasn't going to be part of your next contending core, who now is part of your next contending core, plays mostly every day, doesn't play against lefties all the time, but is mostly an everyday player and has developed the way that Josh Rojas has into, at least this season, he's been an elite defensive third baseman. Hadn't seen that before, but this year he has been and he could be for years to come. It's just been kind of a staple at the top of their lineup, especially against right-handed hitting. I think you take that. Um, And again, the promise of some of the other guys, like especially Seth Beer, yeah, it's disappointing. But to get a guy who's like a staple in your lineup now in that trade and then Corbin Martin, who... Maybe could help them depth-wise in the bullpen at some point. He He's not a guy who's not going to have a role for this team. I don't His story's think. not over. Exactly.
0: It's just been lackluster. I mean, he was the one of the four guys that got traded in that deal to Arizona. He had already played at the major league level prior yeah. to that. This is four years ago we're talking about. He pitched for the Astros. He gets Tommy John surgery. He's out for the year, and he misses another year, and then... No real significant role in the rotation. He can't stick there. Maybe he's a bullpen guy like we're talking about now. Here we are four years later. He's still trying to find that way back. I just find it interesting that the three guys with like high prospect pedigree didn't turn out to be the one that adds the most value to this organization. That's Rojas, which famously, I think it was Sports Illustrated, reported the story where they were trying to make this deal work. And Jeff Luno at the time was the GM of the Astros and he takes it to uh, Crane, the owner, Jim Crane. Mm. And he says, you know, we got this deal for Zach Granke and, you know, they want this extra player. Well, who's the extra player? Uh, Josh Rojas. And Crane goes, well, who the hell is Josh Rojas? He didn't even know who that was in his own system. And they end up making the trade and Josh Rojas becomes the primary piece. I just think it's disappointing to see Seth Beer gone. It's not like he
1: was... Playing or anything for the major league club. But. I mean, they can outright him to AAA. He might not be gone. He's he might not be gone. No go the forty yeah. man roster, and if nobody claims him, then someone might claim him just because of the offensive upside he showed as a prospect. But uh, at this point, given just what we've seen it from him at the major league level and the lack of results, he might just clear waivers and be outrighted to AAA and somebody that the Daybacks can continue to evaluate and maybe use down the road in the right situation. Probably not, but
0: you never know. Long homestand starting on Friday. Washington, three games at Chase Field. You're probably going to get... Gray and Gore, probably their two best pitchers right off the bat in that series. That's kind of interesting. Mackenzie's Gore has been fantastic, by the way. I, I really liked him as a prospect, and he just never really found a, a home in, in San Diego and was a part of a big trade. Love him. Miami comes to town. Uh, you're going to get Zach Gallen in that series, Brandon fought and Merrill Kelly. That'll be an exciting three games for the Diamondbacks because you would like to see all three of those guys go. San Francisco for four games to round out that homestand stand. Uh, you're likely going to get Henry Nelson, Gallon, and fought again. So,
1: what is that? Ten games at home. Yeah, ten. A real opportunity for the Diamondbacks. We haven't seen the Giants yet. They have not seen the Giants yet. No. That's the last team in the division they have seen. Yeah, that's so. interesting that they
0: haven't played the Giants at all yet. And they're usually a pretty big draw at Chase Field, so that should be interesting. Looking at the standings, by the way, I did mention how odd the NL Central is. The Pirates are in first place. They're the second best team in the National League right now behind good. the Braves. They look great. And they're doing it with a bunch of guys that are... It's kind of like the island of misfit toys a little bit. It's not like O'Neal Cruz is just like taking over the world and he's, he's like... hurt. The, yeah. yeah, he's hurt. And their pitching's been pretty solid. It's a bunch of guys you probably have heard of, cast-offs from other teams. And they're just playing really well together. Yeah, (laughs) 36-year-old former MVP Andrew McCutcheon's been great. Um, So the Cardinals are in last place. They're 10-21 and right now. Uh, that's got to be problematic for them, I would think. The Diamondbacks still sitting in second place. They're half a game up on the Padres. They're a game and a half back of the Dodgers. So if things continue to go this way, uh, like we talked about, for another month, and you're into June, and you're in second place, then I think we start having those conversations about more more uh, detailed conversations about what do you try to add to the
1: deadline. Yeah, totally agree, and I don't think they're going to be shy about it. I mean the case and made it clear during his that Bumgarner press conference it's like yeah this you know bold move didn't work doesn't mean that th- the end of it it doesn't mean there's no more coming
0: yeah so not the greatest debut for brandon fought but hopefully uh the next start will be much much better i think that there's a lot to love about the kid so i think i hope people give him the benefit of the doubt i hope that he's around for a long long time with the diamondbacks All right, we're going to wrap this one up for Alex Weiner. I am Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to the Ain't No Fang podcast here at ArizonaSports.com and on the Arizona Sports app.